passage in the Bible in a moment. And then the, the band are going to lead us in a song before we hear that and had time to respond later. We, we began a new series uh, last Sunday, uh, through the summer at least, um, from uh, the New Testament, particularly, it's called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And I gave an introduction last week uh, to that, of why we're doing it, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The, all our uh, sermons and talks are, are available uh, from the World Wide Web to listen to. Um, just follow, if you go to our website, you'll be able to find links and so forth. But The Hard Sayings of Jesus... We're doing the series because uh, as, you, uh, as we read the Bible, as we encourage each other to do this, there are bits of, that crop up and you go, oh, what about that? What does that mean? How does that work out? Sometimes they're cultural and sometimes they're just knotty issues that actually get to the real nub of who we are, what it's like to be human, and what grace is all about. They do make us think. So here is a short parable, Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. It's on the screen as well. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, the robbers, the evildoers, and the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus Thank you that you tell the truth. And that truth can hit us between the eyes or it can also just lodge itself and start to work away at things within. Would you do that? Because we want to be renewed. We want to be reshaped. We want to be held and transformed to be like Jesus. We're not just content with status quo in ourselves or in this world. Formers and reformers in the ways of Jesus, the likeness of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And we get to sing uh, together again. Invite you. When Jesus 
was in Galilee and headed to Jerusalem. What he said led him to the cross. That what Jesus teaches impacts society. That the views that we have adopted and the other faiths uh, perhaps hold and uh, expound can feel good for a time, but aren't actually revolutionary. Jesus is a provocative teacher. He tells stories. He turns things on their heads. If you've ever been turned upside down, it's a little disorientating. But actually, he does it because he loves us. He does it because he wants us to discover that his way is great. He disturbs the order through his works and practices and behavior and his living and showing, his demonstration of the fullness of God that points towards the expansive, boundary-shattering graciousness of God. The hard sayings of Jesus are sometimes not so much hard to understand, but hard to accept. It's just worth reminding ourselves in this story, uh, and indeed in all of these features that we will be looking at over some of the hard sayings are of Jesus. That they're recorded and retold to us by the disciples, by the authors of the Gospels especially, and recorded as such, even though difficult, they haven't been watered down or glossed over or, oh gosh, let's just uh, avoid that. They are presented because they are true. We're presented in this parable, in this story in Luke 18, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It is a parable, a story with intent. It's a a story that Jesus is telling to provoke, is telling to shape, is telling to undermine something. And there's a point to it. And the nature of often parables is sometimes they leave things a little bit hanging, like a cliffhanger or a series finale or a, oh, he draws it out. He asks us to think. He asks us to weigh it up. And as such, we we are presented with, with the story of this parable, this story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. But the problem I just want to address as we launch into this, is that we are very familiar with the Gospels, probably. And even if you've not read these stories recently or before, the word Pharisee conjures up a whole mental image of someone Jesus seemed to be opposed to or always uh, criticizing or saying, don't be like the Pharisees. And again, we, were, we, we hear of tax collectors Jesus was a friend of the tax collectors and the sinners, and and it seems as the outcome of this parable demonstrates that he's on the side of the tax collector. So immediately we're biased to think, Pharisee, bad, tax collector, thumbs up. We may applaud the reproof of the self-righteous, pompous Pharisee. No one likes that, do we? Self-righteous pomposity. But we need to hear 
and try and reimagine the context that this would have been like for those who heard Jesus as he told the story. That we have come to understand because we read the Gospels and we look at it from the vantage point of our history and we have the entirety of Jesus' stories and teachings and we understand how he's challenging the views of the Pharisees, the legalism and all that and expressing the scandalous of grace, scandalous grace of God towards the tax collectors and those who are often seen as the edge. But when this was heard, it would have been heard in a perhaps a different way. This parable has intent, after all. The Pharisee, remember, is actually the good guy. Think about it. The Pharisee is someone who is devout. The Pharisee is someone who is God-fearing. The Pharisee is someone actually who is passionate for God and virtuous. Notice that the Pharisee prays. He says in his opening prayer as he's in the temple, God, I thank you that he has come to worship and he's thanking God for the blessing that he has received. And he kind of says that I am thank you that I'm not like the other people. He says, thank you for the exemplary life that he's been able to live. And he contrasts, he says, thank you that I'm not um, a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer. I mean, that doesn't seem particularly unreasonable to me, does it to you? No one wants to be a robber, I hope. No one wants to be an evildoer. No one wants kind of waking up at the day to say, I'm going to set out to be an adulterer today. No one looks at their dear, sweet child, newly born, and imagines and hopes for them to be on the wrong side of the law, to be stealers of money, to be feared for their cruelty and violence, and to be a serial breaker of relationships. No one does that. Do they? See, the Pharisee is a man who loves God, and he's gone beyond the requirements of the expected law, and he's really, really virtuous. He fasts twice a week. This isn't a diet plan, by the way. This is about loving the Lord, that he doesn't just do it once a week, but twice. And he tithes a tenth of all he gets, not just on the required bits, but on everything. I mean, oh, for that in a church, eh? As his devotion and loyalty to God, his love for God. Thank God praise the Pharisee, that I'm not like the tax collector. Of course, outwardly, when we're being honest, we're not far away from this man, the Pharisee. I mean, looking at the tax collector, it's worth a brief reminder, just as we've thought about the Pharisee, what would it mean to the hearers to say tax collector? Well, the tax collector in Jesus' day was uh, loathed, and hated. They were, uh, that, they were that section of their country and their society that were collaborating. With whom? The Romans. With the oppressors, the invaders. The ones in charge. They were collaborators. I remember learning at school a little bit about Second World War history uh, and in occupied Europe how hated the collaborators were because they sided with the oppressing power. 
contrary to the rest of the nationalism. And this is wrong that we are being oppressed by this foreign power and all the bad things they are doing. The Romans could be benign if you followed their ways, but brutal. They didn't. The tax collector. Tax collectors overcharging their neighbors for tax. Their countrymen, their family, their kin, getting rich off their hard work and labors. And indeed, in the tax collector's prayer, you hear it, don't you? Have mercy on me, a sinner. He got it exactly right. He beat his breast. He couldn't even look up. That was the conventional prayer posture in the temple. He was so downcast, he knew himself and he knew that he was wretched. He knew full well that he didn't really even deserve to be in the temple, that holy place of meeting with the presence of God. His body language matches his words. He stands aside on the edge because he knows Can you see the contrast? The Pharisees' prayer is justified. Thank God that I'm not like him. No one likes him. He's betrayed. He's sold out. Be honest with me. Don't we rather thank God that the world has good and upright and responsible and law-abiding people in it? Is the world a better place because of people like the Pharisee or the tax collector? See, but that's the issue. That's the crux of the parable, the contrast. The righteous Pharisee versus the unrighteous tax collector. The good versus the bad. So what is the issue? See, the good man, the Pharisee, I'll call him the good man mostly. And he even gives credit to God. I thank you, God, for the moral chasm that separates him from the bad man. The the good man praying in his own eyes stands in the favor of God. He's doing everything right that we would champion and celebrate when the other one doesn't. And of course, we, we immediately hear the, the, the introductory text, uh, the verse uh, 9, and, and at the, the conclusion of, of verse 14, where Jesus uh, kind of uh, bookends the parable. And we hear Jesus teaching as exposing hypocrisy and rebuking the arrogance of this, this self-righteous man. But the parable is actually sharper than we'd imagine. It isn't just about you hypocritical religious man. See, this is the challenge. The reasonable belief that God's gracious presence honors obedience and faith and devotion whilst scorning those who are marked by persistent rebelliousness and disobedience. But when we analyze the two of them, when we look at them and say, okay, I understand. Actually, the Pharisee embodies goodness, tax collector, everything that we would say, we don't want that, thanks. Who 
returns home vindicated and acquitted. Who is right with God? Audience response at this point. Tax collector. The bad man. No wonder Jesus is accused of siding with and being a friend of the tax collectors and sinners. He's siding with the corrupt. And this is a hard saying and draws us to the heart of the matter. There are two men, two people at prayer. The righteous and good one stands no closer to God than the unrighteous and bad one. When you let that sink in, it immediately starts to challenge so much of the way the world works. The good and the bad man stand no closer or indeed no further from God. The bad and the failed and the broken and the messed up, the guilty and the shame-ridden recognize recognize this. The bad man can't even look up to heaven. He knows himself. Dare he even enter into the temple to draw close to God? Who is he, actually, as he prays and beats his chest and he's downcast on the edge aside? Who is he to even think that he may claim or ask to see the favor of God and divine grace? Remember, grace stems from God. It's his initiation and his intention to embrace the broken, the sinful. And this shatters the expectations of us. We prefer to structure society and our social world and the church as good versus bad. The holy versus the unholy, the godly versus the godless. And this story implies that those who are good, in the world's eyes, are at risk of being shut out from grace. Who goes home vindicated? Catch yourself. Think of the language you may use. I thank God that I'm not like X or Y. I thank God for the blessing and favor he's bestowed on my life. But I'm glad I'm not like them. Whatever the them, the like is you're looking at. Difficult children. Difficult parents. (laughs) Being favored with many possessions or great intellect. There's an American spiritual song in the days of slavery that declares in heaven the slaves who were bereft and and poverty-stricken on earth will wear shoes in heaven along with all God's children. And the song goes on to declare that some of those who talk about heaven aren't going to get there. The Pharisee, a good man, assumed and took for granted that he'd be there. He thanked God that he wasn't like those others, desperate and broken and had no glimmer of godliness about them. 
Maybe he even thought about the tax collector praying the bad man. How dare this man even utter the name of God as he prays? They both address God as God. And the shock for the Pharisee, the good one, is that God hears the bad man's prayers. Shocking. Heaven's doors are open wide, and the floodgates of God's mercy are open. Who went home justified? He cried out for mercy, and he was sent home justified. He received the mercy of God, that God didn't close the doors of heaven or stick his fingers in the air saying, you are too bad to hear. Mercifully, God hears us whenever we call upon his name. And God declares, as Jesus speaks in this parable, that he went home justified before God. Wow. Always the action of God to justify. How do you hear this, this hard teaching? Be careful, uh, because you may say, yes, I understand it, Edward. I understand it. It's Christian, Christianity 101. God is gracious to everyone, particularly the sinful. How do you hear it? A Sunday school teacher was telling this parable, teaching it to young girls and boys. And when she'd finished, she said, now let us bow our heads and pray and thank God that we aren't like the Pharisee. Of course we chuckle because we think we're not like the Sunday school teacher. See, the danger is we start looking around, looking for those certain people who trust in themselves. Who's this parable addressed to? The clue is given in chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples, verse 1, a parable to show them that they should always pray, how they should always pray and not give up. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, verse 9, Jesus told them this parable. To whom is the parable addressed? Disciples. Followers of Jesus, you and me. There were some there. See, Jesus, in this hard saying, is challenging the very human condition the Pharisee embodied, judging others. Don't judge a book by its cover and all that. Who is the parable addressing? It's we. You and me. We are those people. In the contrast of the good and the bad one, we recognize that humility is the great equalizer. Pride, we're told, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Pride is the thing that separates a person from others and from God. Humility equalizes levels. At the cross, as we stand before the Savior and Lord, we all stand or kneel at the same level, whether great and good and educated and powerful or a scrap of life that has been left behind. We come to the cross at the same level. This parable is is told and the hard saying is told to those of us who trust in themselves. 
Those of us who might begin to consider and think that we're doing all right. I'm a little bit ahead, a little bit better, a little bit more saved, a little bit more in favor, a little bit more blessed. And I thank you, God, for that. Humility is the great equalizer when we recognize the scandal of God's grace. One of the things I want you to always remember as we go through this series on hard sayings is the scandal of God's grace, God's loving, abounding goodness. When we come up with the challenging things and think, how does that fit in? Remember, it is undergirded and founded on God's amazing, lavish, compassionate, generous, scandalous grace that never gives up. An instance for me when I discovered how deep-seated this feeling, this mentality, this spirituality can be, that I'm more like the good one than the bad one was when I was, uh, had an opportunity to, to be in, in Hyderabad, in India, and I was with a team and um, been teaching at the Bible College and a whole bunch of things. And uh, with the team, like, we, we were just praying that towards the end of the time, we, we thought it'd be really, really good for lots of reasons that we wanted to, to wash the feet of all those students and those that we've been involved with because we've been serving them. And uh, because there were cultural things about we were white and they're Indian, uh, that not necessarily from our perspective, but we were, we were always given great honor and, and, uh, and given the favored seats and, you know, thanked profusely for being there and serving. And it was a way that I felt the Lord would really wanting us to, to demonstrate that we're one in Jesus Christ, that there aren't these hierarchies of believers. And so we talked about it, and there was, there was a, a murmur of commotion amongst uh, in, in Telugu of all those who were going to wash the feet. And then, you can't wash our feet. And we insisted we must. We want to. We should. And then the reality of it dawned. I was prepared. I got you know, my shorts on, and they took their sandals off. Don't wear socks in India, usually. And the nature of a society like that is that Feet get re- they don't really have pedicures. I have to tell you that we get all bashful about our feet, thinking, "Oh, my feet have got bunions and growths and are a bit knobbly." Go to a developing world context and see ugly feet. I mean, it's an eye opener. And as they sat on the wall, and as we as a team began to wash the feet, there was that initial. Actually, I'm so glad my feet aren't like this. Heels cracked toenails ripped off, hard as nails, because there's so much barefoot going on. And as I washed feet, I could feel how hard those feet were. And I got to, to the end, to the watchman, he was called Naveem, he's, he's since died, and, and he had quite a bad athlete's foot, and he had lost his big toe, and it was a bit of a mess. And I started to wash my feet, uh, his feet, and and there was part of me that was recoiling. And I just felt the nudge of the Lord to say, be humble. Be humble. And there was part of my heart that was beginning to think, I'm so glad I, I'm not the watchman in India. And as I reflected on this parable and as been preparing for it, I remembered how similar I am to the good man 
Humility is the great equalizer. Pride, I'm better. I'm thankful I'm not. Separates us from others and from God. This attitude gets everywhere. As I read this scripture and reflected on it in preparing for today, I was reminded of of all the things, well, some of the things that have been in our news this week. Dear old President Trump, in another tweet, send them back. Racism. That sees one race as better than or more deserving than another. It happens on the national and the group, but it also happens on the individual and the interpersonal. Jesus says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Racism and the other isms essentially are about oneself being superior to the other, more blessed, more suited, more to be celebrated than the other. And we end up saying, who are we when we go home? Justified in receiving mercy or self-confident? Did you see that story? I think it was yesterday of those developments in London and of how new properties have been given poor doors in these lovely places that wealthy can go and live. The wealthy in the, in the apartments and the flats and the, the development don't actually want to be walking in and out the same door with the poor. They're given a poor door. They can go out elsewhere, you know, not the main door, the side door, the back door. London. When the developments come near us, and we've got loads of them coming, and there's this requirement for social housing, do we object? Not near me, thanks. I thank God that I've got my nice place. The hard sayings of Jesus point to the offense of grace. And they point to the wonder and the assurance of grace. In Matthew, which of the two did, uh, uh, did his father... Uh, which of the two did what his father wanted? It's, it's another story. The first they answered, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Gulp. For the disciple, for us, the we, this is a challenging parable, but it's kingdom. The parable tells the story of two people, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the good man, the bad man, the moral and decent, the mixed up and shady living one, the religious and social and welcome at all the right parties, and the traitor and the betrayer, the honorable living and the questionable, the one who knows the difference between good and evil and the corrupt one, the collaborator, the hardworking and honest, good upstanding citizen versus the one in it for themselves. Who are you? And the reality is, we are neither, because neither of us are probably as 
great as the Pharisee in our moral virtuousness. I'm not, I don't want to judge anyone, but I suspect no one here is quite like the tax collector and so dreadful and vilified in our society. Correct me if I'm wrong later. But the truth of the matter is this, that actually we're both one and the same time. In moments of honesty, we know we're not as good as the Pharisee, but we also know we're not as corrupt as the tax collector. We're that mix, that hybrid, part good, part bad, to ourselves and how we view others. God condemns the good person I want to be, but I'm not, and accepts the bad person who I do not want to be, but am. The great theologian Luther gets it right when he says, we are beggars. This is the truth. In this hybrid nature of who we are this morning, as followers of Jesus, as recipients of grace, to know, yeah, of course, the tax collector. That's the right answer. But to hold up that mirror, to recognize, to move on to the posture of the tax collector, calling out again and again for mercy and grace. I'm never having graduated from that and saying, I, I, I started like that, but now I'm okay. I've, I've reformed. Thank God that I'm not like I used to be and all those I used to associate with. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. An ongoing posture. An ongoing mindset. An ongoing remembering that God's grace is wide open and his floodgates bestowing grace upon grace upon grace. Because when we forget that, we begin to be in the comparison game. And we end up like the Pharisee. Let's pray together.